Good morning, friends. Great to be with you this morning. Bring you greetings from your extended family of friends around Mid-America. Um, as you know, I think that you're part of this wider group of some 60 churches in seven states, and you're not quite the furthest south, but you're one of the most southern churches, and guess what? We like coming down here in January. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we really do. Um uh, we live in the Wichita area, Derby, Kansas, and that's home for us now for a year and a half. We lived in Haviland for 18 years, where I taught there at the college and, and uh, still do a little bit of teaching. But uh, bring you greetings from people who know you, like Janet Penna. Does that name ring a bell? You know, my good friend Janet, who's worked with us in the office for a long time, and other folks that, that really know and love you here in, uh, in Leak City. So um, my wife Carol is here, my daughter Jessie, and we're just really really thrilled to spend some time with you. Hey, if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and somebody said when I came in, hey, I saw you in the insights. That's a little scary, but um, I guess my mugshot's out there uh, a few places. But I really want to take something that I wrote in, in the most recent insights and expand on it and go a little deeper with you this morning. And in Philippians 3, uh, of course, you know, this is, um, this is kind of Paul's story in a sense, it's really kind of representing his very heart um, as, as a man of God, as a, as a pastor and missionary. And let me say this before I forget. I want you to know how much I appreciate your pastors. Um, Jim and Cindy have become dear friends of ours. Carol and I have spent quite a bit of time with them, especially as Cindy was going through some of her really rough times. And, of course, they had the flood. And, and then Jim recently has had, you know, the eye procedures and They've had some pretty big challenges, but I know this. They love you. They love you deeply. I'm sure you know that, too. But um, they're just really great people. And it's been so great to meet Jerry, your worship leader. I think we may have met briefly before, but uh, to get to know Jerry better and lots of other folks here that we, we appreciate so much. So just want to make sure and say that. Uh, so in, in uh, Philippians 3, you've got this, uh, this great um, summary from Paul about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, you may have read this, you may have not, but when I think about this text, I think about a story about a friend of mine from college. We went to Malone University in Canton, Ohio, and uh, he is also a pastor, as I am, been a missionary. His name's Mark. And uh, so Mark played baseball at Malone University. He was a good baseball player. He was a catcher. And by the way, I played baseball. That's the one position I never played and never want to. <laughs> Do you ever watch a baseball game? I mean, that's, that's the worst, man. I mean, that's the hardest. You're, you know, every play, you're squatting down, you're getting balls that hit you in all kinds of places, and that's tough. So Mark was pretty tough. But he was going through a really rough time, like both at the plate. He was in a slump in the field. He was making some errors, and he was just really struggling. And uh, so finally, the coach, Bob Starcher was his name, devout Christian guy, really great coach. He came up to Mark, and he said, hey, Mark, you know, you spend so much time thinking about what happened on the last play that you don't have any energy left to focus on the play that's coming right in front of you. He said, maybe you should stop being so concerned about what's in the rearview mirror and start focusing on what's in the windshield. And so Mark took that story that the coach gave to him, and he took it to heart, and he kind of called that windshield living, and that's our theme this morning. How do we live through the windshield of life and not get stuck in what's behind us in the rearview mirror? Now, 
Here's what I've discovered, and this is why I want to go deeper with you. Um, I've discovered this personally. Paul discovered this, and I want to offer this to you this morning. Um, the trick is, it sounds great to live with, with the future in front of us and not getting stuck in the past, but here's what I find is we're into a new year, first month of the year, first month of the decade, 2020. Does that sound funny still? 2020. Anyway, so here we are in 2020, and new decade, new year, January, and we want to look forward, but sometimes we find ourselves struggling to move forward because we're dragging stuff behind us. And what Paul wants to tell us through the Holy Spirit, through Scripture is, you know, if you really want to have the joy of the Lord and, and, and the joy of moving forward into the new future that God has for you, you're really going to have to let go of some stuff. And Paul had to do that not once, but over and over in his life, things would come up and he'd have to say, okay, I've got to keep forgetting. This is really important. We're going to look at this. Okay, Philippians chapter 3. Let's read the text and then we'll ask the Lord to continue to speak to us. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 1 because this is kind of Paul's, Paul's story. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about the legalistic Pharisees. Boy, thank you for standing. If you'd like to join us in standing during this reading, please do, if you're able to stand. Please do. Yeah, let's give attention to God's word. Verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he just kind of takes some time to rehearse his resume. If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But, let's see, here's where he's going to cut some stuff loose. But, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's a very strong word. Refuge. Manure. It's garbage. That I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And now here's our theme. Not that I've already attained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold, but one thing I do. Anybody else have NIV this morning? doesn't matter what you have. Read it with me, okay? Read it with me. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. So you're going to see, I think, uh, a few slides up here. And just to kind of help you track with me, because what I want to do is I want to use Philippians 3 and especially verses uh, 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 especially verses 13 and 14. I want to use that as our 
our launching pad, our, our base, you know, uh, th let's call this our uh, base camp. Anybody else like to hike or, you know, go on, you know, trail? Yeah, okay. So this is our base camp, Philippians 3. But it's describing Paul's life and his experience. And what we want to talk about is, so what did this mean for him? Because when he says this stuff, he's, he's looking back, you know, he's, by the way, he's under house arrest in Rome. You might remember this. This is one of his prison epistles. This is towards the end of his life. It's not his final uh, imprisonment. That comes later. But he's probably 60-ish, which I'm 60-ish. I'm creeping towards 60, so I'm in this kind of ballpark. And uh, got a few years behind you. Uh, by the way, I loved having these kids up here. What a cool thing to have kids at the altar. Isn't that cool, you know, and to pray with them and sing? Um, we have six kids and uh, about 13 grandkids now. Is that right? Just multiplying like rabbits, you know. Uh, but we, we love uh, all these kids, and, uh, you know, as you go along in life, you collect things, and you collect people. You know that. Your family and friendships, you know. So here's Paul, and he's pausing, and he's writing to his good friends in Philippi. Some of the earliest Christians and some of his best friends are in, in Philippi. And, and he's saying, I just want to tell you some stuff that I think is really important that I don't want you to forget. But I do want you to forget some stuff. <laughs> So he says, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Now, English is an awesome language, and when you read the Bible in English, it's really all you need, but sometimes the original language gives a little extra punch, and you need to catch this. Because when he says forgetting, it's not past tense. This is really fascinating. It's present. What he's, what he's saying is, I keep on forgetting. Right now, today, I have to forget again something that comes up that was in my past that was, was holding me back or holding me down or that I've done before. He even recites some of that stuff. Because I still remember, you know, when we come to Christ, it's not a memory wipe. Like if you ever saw a man in black, you know, like this memory wipe thing. No, no, no. God doesn't just, I mean, we're human beings for goodness sakes. But he redeems our memories. He takes what's behind us, especially if it's painful and difficult, and he redeems it. He transforms it. And that happens by forgetting and straining, by, by counting ourselves dead to that thing, whatever that is. It could be a painful memory, something that we did or was done to us. It could be, and we talked about this yesterday at our, our workshop, it could be a burden that we've been bearing that is not ours to bear, um, a guilt, a shame, uh, it, all kinds of stuff. But we've got to forget it. It doesn't mean that, that our memories are wiped. It means that we say, I'm putting it under the blood of Christ again. Um, we have been in uh, pastoral work for about 37 years, our, our entire married life. And uh, if you haven't heard, uh, just like your life, pastoral life can be difficult some days, um, sometimes extremely difficult. Uh, to the point you're not sure if you're going to be able to continue. We had some of those moments, and I'm thinking of one in particular, um, where it was brutally hard in a particular place of ministry. And uh, we were very tempted to, to leave public ministry at that point in our lives. And uh, there were some things, uh, not to rehash it, there were some things that happened that uh, were very hurtful. And so, you know, we forgave. That's what we were called to do, forgive as Christ forgives you. So we did. And then we were surprised 
because a few months later, that same stuff came up, and we felt the same hurt and the same woundedness and the same kind of, you know, anger. And the Lord said, we'll forgive again. And then I was taken to Matthew 18. And remember, Jesus is talking with the uh, disciples, and, and, and Peter says, well, how many times should we forgive, Lord? You know, like, maybe seven? Because that's a lot. Seventy times seven, Jesus says. Now, what does that mean? I can't do the math. It means as much as it takes. That means infinitely. You just keep on forgiving. That's been really helpful because that's a present tense. Keep on forgiving. When things come up, um, either fresh things or things back here, you have to keep on putting it under the blood of Christ, under the cross, and apply fresh grace. Um, sometimes you have physical wounds that just don't disappear, and they pop up again, and you apply fresh treatment, fresh whatever it is, medication, ointment, whatever it might be. And, uh, and it takes the sting away, and it helps it to heal. And so that's really kind of what Paul's saying. And, and, and think about what Paul has done in his life. Let's go to the next slide, Ed. So, um, one more, sorry. So, you know, Paul was a human being, for goodness sake. Some people put Paul up in this big pedestal, you know, like he was superhuman. He was just like us, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, a sinner saved by grace. He says, I... I'm the chief of sinners. <laughs> so he had to work through this stuff, and it really helps us to see how Christ helped him, and he can help us. He had to continually repent of unconfessed sin because that was a ball and chain. And you're like, well, not Paul. No, once the Damascus Road came, he was good to go. Really? Really? He's, he's uh, writing this phrase, these words, in Acts 22. These are, this is years later. This is years later. And, of course, he refers to what happened to him after the Damascus Road, Acts chapter 9, then, and he meets with Ananias, and he's baptized, and his sins are washed away. But, you know, he kept on walking through this world, and he stumbled. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember? Uh, you know what? I'm going to wait on this one. I'm going I'm to tell this story in just a little bit longer about Paul. Let's just focus on this fact that Paul had to, like us, continue to bring mistakes, errors, sin before God under the blood of Christ. You say, well... You come to Christ, it's, it's good to go. You don't have to keep doing that. Really? Then why did, uh, why did John write 1 John 1, 9 to believers, to the church? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not writing to new unbelievers. He's, he's writing to Christians. We have to keep on forgetting, putting under the blood of Christ so we can walk in newness of life. You know, why, why, why did Jesus say in, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, Lord, give us our daily bread and forgive us our sins. That's present tense. He's speaking to his disciples, right? So um, maybe you don't need that reminder, but sometimes I do because like Paul, I struggle sometimes with self-righteousness. And I come from a church home and a pastor's home, and um, I grew up, Shame to say, I grew up kind of thinking, well, if I'm a good kid and I try to, uh, as Kathy said, put on the right facade and, and look good to people around me, um, then I'm good to go. And uh, the Lord began to shatter that, that house of glass and began to show me the depth of my sin. And uh, so I was about 15 when I was at Camp Quaker Haven, if you know where that is, in Ark City, Kansas. Um, and uh, I remember... Finally saying, I give up. Okay, you're right. I'm wrong. And uh, for me, that was a big deal. And that was where my new life with Christ started. 
But let me tell you, it didn't end. <laughs> the struggles don't end. The biggest struggle ends because from now on, my life is given to Christ, and he fights for me, and I, you know, he's covered you know, the, the penalty of my sin. I'm, I'm good to go as far as that is, you know, but, but the power of sin doesn't let go quickly. And that's what sanctification is called. You continue to be made holy and to be made pure. And guess what? That's a lifetime process. We're all under construction. So with Paul, I'm like, yeah, I get it, Lord. I know I need your grace day by day. Day by day, I need fresh grace. Fresh grace. I don't want to pull from an old, stinky, dried up well. I want to pour from that fresh well. And do you know, here's the good news. God's well of grace is bottomless. Did you know that? There's no limit. <coughs> 70 times 7, right? Not only can we forgive that much, but God is the author of that forgiveness. So, sometimes we want to move forward with that windshield living, but we've got to make sure that we are recognizing those unconfessed sins that we need to break loose by God's grace and give it to Him. Next like Paul, we have to relinquish unholy passions if we're going to receive God's purpose for the future. You say, what's unholy passions? Well, Paul says, in my obsession against them, the church, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. So, you know, Paul was zealous for God, but God had to continually transform that zealousness into something that was self-defeating and self-serving into something that was kingdom-serving and God-glorifying. So God has to redeem our passions. What are passions? They're things that we hold deeply. We, we hold these things so deeply we're willing to suffer for them because the word passion means suffer. And, and, and so they're just like deep-seated convictions. And that's great, but they've got to be godly. We have to have them under the blood of Christ, right? And so sometimes we have to say, well, you know, okay, let me just go from preaching to meddling. So um, I'm a church guy. I'm a church kid, now a church pastor. So, um, well, wait a minute. This isn't the right kind of pulpit. I mean, you can actually see through this pulpit. That's not appropriate. We should have a pulpit that's big and solid and, and thick and, 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 you know, should, should hide things. And, and, uh, and sometimes as a pastor, you'd like to have things hidden, you know. But, um, but uh, you know, people get in fights over that stuff because there's a, an ungodly passion about something that's really trivial. And you know what I'm talking about, church. Come on. Um, and so we have to let go of that stuff and say, well, wait a minute, Lord, you guide my passions. You guide my convictions. I want to make sure that they're, they're grounded in your truth, not in my presuppositions or my traditions or whatever it might be. Paul had to do that all the time. It wasn't a one-time shot. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the first time he ate pork? <laughs> you know? Remember the story in Acts, uh, Acts 12 about the pigs in the blanket when Peter's, you know, having the vision and, and the, the, the blanket's let down with all the unclean food and, and you know, and, uh, and Peter's like, well, whoa, that's, that's horrible. And God's like, don't call unclean what God has made clean. There might be some people in your life. Now, I know I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm supposed to be a guest preacher, very nice, and, you know, well, I'm just inviting you into my world, Okay. There's some people that might rub you the wrong way because um, they don't fit into that box. They, they come down in that blanket and you go, no, not really. I don't think I'm going to associate. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. So as Jesse and I are driving down the road together the other day, uh, ah, Mr. Mr. Preacher, Mr. Pastor, there was a 
homeless man on the corner, and y- you know how this goes. And, and you know, my, my excuse usually is, well, I don't carry cash, so I'm just going to keep driving and not worry about that. And this time, the Lord said, uh, excuse me, you have cash in your pocket. Oh, yeah. And so in that case, I felt compelled. This was, this was the right time to give this man some, some money. And, uh, you know, it's just easy. It's easy to say, I don't see those people. Uh, those people don't exist. Those people, whoever they are, it doesn't matter. You fill in the blank who those people are. Um, and we can have ungodly views of convictions about things. God has to purify that. We have to forget that and let it go and give it to God and let him cleanse that and change that so that we see people through the eyes of Jesus, right? The way he sees us. God doesn't show favoritism to us. Do you know that none of us belong here? Well, for a lot of reasons. But none of us, is there anybody in this room who's Jewish? That's what I thought. We don't belong here. We're not part of that chosen people. But now we are. By grace and grace alone. We're Gentiles. We're outsiders. At least that's what we used to be. But God's invited us in. He's made peace. And so, I don't know why I'm spending more time on this one today. Maybe somebody needs, maybe I need to hear it. But don't, we don't look at people the same anymore. We, we want God to give us his eyes. So, that gives us greater purpose because then we can look at people through the eyes of God and see how can I love them? How can I not just pass that guy in the corner or, or just take the money from the cashier at Walmart but actually have an interest in them? Or we eat out a lot uh, as we travel. Um, and so that uh, server, right? She's not, just, she's not just like some pragmatic utilitarian tool. She or he, that's a person created in God's image. She has a name, he has a name, they have a life. Well, you know, how am, I, how am I treating them? Am I treating them like they have value? Or are they just there to serve me, you know? Um, so you get what I'm saying. And uh, Lord, help us on that. Next. So if we're going to move into that, that, that windshield living, that, that newness of life, that joy of the Lord that's, that's ahead of us, uh, we got to resolve some conflicts, man. You can't drag that stuff with you. You know how much energy that takes. Well, I've got a grudge against so-and-so, but I'm a Christian, so I don't talk about it, and I just kind of pretend like it doesn't exist. But I got a really bad attitude about that person because they hurt me or whatever. You say, well, at least Paul didn't have to deal with that. <laughs> oh, man. Have you read Acts 15 recently? Okay, come on, man. So, so here they are. So, so they're at the uh, council in Jerusalem, and this becomes one of the highest points in church history. We wouldn't be here today without this council because they resolve some really big stuff about Jews and Gentiles and who's in and who's out. And it's like it's, it's through the blood of Christ. And, and so all are welcome. So they resolve this, this issue. It's a huge issue. And there's peace. And people are celebrating as they leave this meeting, right? Have you left a congregational meeting? And it's like, oh, man, God was so good. That was amazing how he did that. And then right on the heels, I mean, as they're leaving the door, Paul and Barnabas get into a fight. And the, the language here in the original is when it says that they had a sharp disagreement, the original language really says it almost came to blows. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas, like the two greatest missionaries in, in the history of the church. These are just a couple of human beings, man. And they have feelings that get out of sorts sometimes. And, and, and it's really, you know, you say, well, 
That's kind of a black eye in the church. Good news. Paul and Barnabas, we know from the rest of the story, the New Testament, didn't leave it there. They had a sharp disagreement. They went their separate ways. It was over John Mark because he had left them on their first journey, and they were, you know, Barnabas is like, give him a second shot, and Paul's like, no, can't afford, can't, can't afford to do that. He's not coming, and they have this thing. But it doesn't end there. If you read Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, you'll find something fascinating. And this is, this is several years later. This, this is as much as 20 years later. But, but Paul's writing, and he says, oh, yeah, and, 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 and Mark, John Mark is, is really helpful to me, by the way. He's part of his ministry team. How did that happen? And then if you read on, um, uh, at another point, at the, in his last letter before he died, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, oh, I don't have anybody with me but Luke, so please, would you get Mark and bring him to me? I need Mark, that guy. So they resolved. Paul had to choose to forget by laying that at the foot of the cross and saying, Lord, help me to forgive, to resolve, to move forward, because it's not just about me. It's about Mark, and it's about the kingdom of God. Is there anybody in your life today? And you know who it is, because right now they're coming to mind. And they're like, ah, ah, that is so painful. That is so difficult. I, I don't know if I want to reconcile with them. I don't know if I can reconcile with them. Scripture says nothing is impossible with God. More than that, Scripture says whatever they do, we're called to be at peace with everyone as much as it depends on us. Love one another as I've loved you. Forgive as I've forgiven you. Is there anybody in your life like that today? Because that's a ball and chain dragging you, dragging you down. And, and, and it's hard to move forward if you're dragging that stuff behind you, man. So, and by the way, I know reconciliation takes two parties. I know you can't make somebody reconcile, but you can forgive and you can, uh, you can, you can do your part. You can extend, you know, the, the branch to them, so to speak, and say, let's, let's, let's work on this. Let's do what we can. So, and it may take time. It may take time. Next. If we're going to move forward into that windshield living, we've got to make sure that we're not dragging a lot of unpleasant memories behind us because that prevents us from receiving God's mercy. And, you know, Paul had some unpleasant memories, um, but he found mercy at the seat of Christ, and he said, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to drag that stuff with me. Um, can I tell you your story a little bit that we told before about your dad? Yeah. So this is Carol's story to tell, but she gave me permission. So, um, so Carol's dad left the family when she was about eight years old, and uh, her mom was a single parent, and that was very, very difficult, especially in the 60s. She found out, well, I don't know if this is quite right, but I think you told me that you kind of found out about the divorce in the paper, kind of. Correct me. So your friends found out about it. Yeah. So th isn't that terrible that they printed all this in the paper, this little small town in Ohio, and so her friends came to her and said, oh, I read in the paper your parents are getting divorced. You know, I mean, really unpleasant memories. And then, of course, um, going on into adult life, um, trying to figure out how to relate to her dad when they never fully reconciled and that kind of thing. But to my wife's credit, she didn't give up. And as they moved along, uh, he was getting sick towards the end of his life. And my, my wife, um, as she found the grace of God and, and mercy for her dad, 
really extended herself to him, uh, took a train uh, from Kansas out to California and spent quite a bit of time with him. Um, and, uh, and, and I think those unpleasant memories were transformed into memories of, of gratitude for her dad, who, who actually, towards the end of his life, really, really came to a, a good place with the Lord and really turned to him. And Carol got to be a part of that. And she wouldn't have if she hadn't made that effort. And that was hard because, you know, you're vulnerable. You're exposed to more pain. There's no way to know how this is going to go. So we have to do those kind of things. We have to keep forgetting, keep, keep releasing, uh, keep asking for that healing so we don't drag that stuff with us into the next stage of life. I think there's one more. And by the way, these are just examples to get you thinking. There's much more the Holy Spirit wants to say, I'm sure. But sometimes we have to renounce ungodly pride. Uh, yeah. To receive God's power. And that's what Paul says. So, so I could stand before you and say, well, I'm here today, and I'm, you should listen to me because I'm lead superintendent, and I have a doctorate in whatever, and I you know, have years of experience, in, and who cares? Paul says it's all garbage compared to knowing Christ. And so you shouldn't listen to anything I say unless the Spirit of God is speaking through me and through his word. That's what has power. There's nothing I have to say to you, and there's nothing you have to say to me that can change my life apart from Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God at work in it. Amen? Come on, people. I was with uh, these, these folks yesterday at this retreat, and, and almost half the people we had with us were non-Anglo. That is, we had folks from uh, Fort Worth who are uh, Nepali and, Bhut- and Bhutanese believers, and they've been through the fire, and that makes a difference. They were refugees in Nepal for many years. In fact, we have a Nepali pastor in St. Paul, Minnesota, who, uh, who, grew, who was 20 years in a refugee camp. And his son was born and raised in a refugee camp. And these are devout Christian people. And there's, there's a purification that happens through that. And um, so what I'm trying to say is that these folks have a, a little greater handle on the power of God. I mean, they pray like crazy. <laughs> They, they just, I mean, they are so dependent upon the Lord because they've, they've learned some valuable lessons about, apart from him, I can do nothing. Because there have been times in their life they had nothing but Jesus. I was in Nepal, uh, been there a couple times, but I remember uh, going, uh, uh, going there and, and listening to a story my friend told me. She was a nurse, and she said that they had a women's conference in Nepal. Do you all support missionaries in Nepal? Yeah? EFM? Okay. Okay. Um, uh, so people like Bob and Debbie Adhikari, maybe you've heard their names, and, and uh, John and Sangi Van Law, who just uh, retired. Well, these are some of our friends' missionaries in Nepal. One of my friends who was a nurse said, you know, we did a women's conference up in Nepal, and this is back when the, when the church was very young in Nepal back in the 90s. And she said um, there was a you know, room full, hundreds of women, who had no, no real value in, in the eyes of culture. Very sad. But they found value in the eyes of Christ. These are Hindu, primarily Hindu people. And if you know about Hinduism, there's no God of love. There's thousands, millions of gods, but no God of love in the Hindu system. So they find love in Christ. This woman's sitting back here, and she has this huge, kind of like this beautiful purple dress right here. What's your name? Doris. So kind of like sitting where Doris is. And she had this beautiful smile on her face. And so my friend went up to her afterwards and said, oh, you, you obviously have the joy of the Lord. And, and she was like, is there a scripture verse that you kind of depend on to, in the midst of all your difficulties, that you 
depend on for that joy. And she said, oh, and there's a translator. She said, oh, I have no Bible. I've never, I can't read. Um, she's, and, and, and I don't have those things. And so my friend said, well, how in the world do you have the joy of the Lord? Oh, by the way, this woman had recently, when she came to Christ, this woman had all of her chickens killed. That's like a rancher in western Kansas or Texas having all of their cattle killed. I mean, that was her livelihood. All of her chickens were killed because she followed Jesus. And so, so my friend says, well, then what in the world? How do you explain this joy of the Lord? And she said, all I have is Jesus. And that's enough. Probably none of us in this room can quite say that the same way because we've got a church, we've got Bibles, we've got hymnals, we've got preachers, we've got, we, we've got all kinds of stuff to help us. Praise God for that. But what if it's all taken away? Right? What if it's all taken away? And it could be just like that. Where does the joy of the Lord come from? So may the Lord give us grace to relinquish any godly, I'm sorry, ungodly pride that gets in the way of just knowing Jesus. Uh, I think that's the last one there. So I want to close with this. Um, So my prayer for you, and I think I actually, somebody printed some stuff here in the bulletin. That was kind of cool. I didn't know about that, but um, I'll just read a little bit of what's in your bulletin. Um, hmm. So, If we have any hope of entering into this new and living way that's been opened for us through the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, we must keep our eyes fixed on the road ahead of us, eagerly anticipating and actively preparing for the new opportunities that are waiting right around the corner. And I know there's so many good things God has in store for you and for this church. But (laughs) you're going to have a real hard time entering into all that new and beautiful stuff if you're dragging a bunch of garbage behind you. Right? So make sure you keep forgetting all that stuff. Lay it at the feet of Christ. Keep releasing it. Keep confessing it. Keep renouncing it so that you can keep moving and keep straining and keep walking and keep running towards that mark of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Because the best is yet to come, my friends. That's the good news. The best is yet to come for you and for this church and for this community. So close with this little video clip. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of or seen a movie called The Mission. It came out a long time ago. I mean, for if you're, if you're young, um, if you're younger than I am, I guess. Uh, 1986, so um, that's when it came out. And um, it's based on a true story of some Jesuit missionaries from Portugal who went to South America to try to take the gospel to the Amazon Basin. And as they go, um, this, this group of missionaries is eager to introduce um, these uh, Native Americans to Christ and to help them experience all we've talked about, you know, the transformation and the freedom in Christ and the new life in Christ. And, and so um, there's also a group of slave traders from Portugal who came as imperialists and colonialists to enslave the Indians and use them for their ungodly purposes. One of those slave traders is named uh, Mendoza. That's his last name. And um, long story short, Mendoza 
loves a woman. His brother steals her away, and Mendoza kills his brother, who he loves dearly. And he's in prison, and he wants to die. And the priest comes and says, do you want a way out? And he says, there's no redemption for me. There's no redemption for me. This is unforgivable. I killed my brother. And the, 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 the priest says, well, would you be willing to try something that might help? And finally, he convinces him to try this. So what happens is, and this is setting up the clip, what happens is Mendoza is given a huge, and by huge, I mean as big as that screen, and you're going to start to see this in a second, as big as that screen, he drags all of his slave trade paraphernalia, swords and shields and armor and etc. behind him, which represents all that sinful life that he's dragging with him that makes him feel like, Okay? Makes him feel like there's no hope for him. And he's dragging it to a specific place, to the home of the Indians he's been enslaving and killing. And he's asking for redemption. And that's what this little video clip's about. So these Indians, savages so called, have become Christians. And when they see this guy coming, this former persecutor, instead of killing him, they cut away his burden and toss it into the water, never to be seen again. And that represents what Christ does for us, right? He has every right to take our life. We've offended him over and over. He cuts it loose. He throws it into the water, into the sea, never never to be found again. That's the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the call that Paul gives to us today. Forget it, man. Forget it. Whatever it is, whatever the pain is, whatever the hurt is, whatever the, you know, whatever it is that you're carrying behind you, man, cut it loose by the grace of God. Put it under the cross. Let the blood of Jesus wash it away so that you can move forward. And by the way, that former slave trader, he becomes a missionary. He takes hand in hand with those Indians and missionaries and he starts serving them and others with the good news of the gospel. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for transformation. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for this, this passage from Philippians, from the life of Paul, that reminds us that there's no, no thing in our life that is as great as your grace, your mercy, your love, your power, And so, Lord, help us this day to walk in newness of life through the windshield you've given us as we cut loose and release those burdens behind us and let them fall into the water of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.